season. Well, we wrap up our series uh, that's been called Classic Christmas. We wrap that up this morning, and we're going to be looking at, I've been bringing pieces of my nativity scene with me each week, and uh, so we're talking about Mary and Joseph this morning, but specifically, I want you to pay attention. Uh, this is going to be in Matthew chapter 1. I want you to pay attention to the plans and the change of plans that they went through. And that's very fitting for Christmas because we always have plans around Christmas. Uh, early on, right before Thanksgiving, my wife and I, we started to make like a Christmas bucket list. And on that list was everything from our Christmas tree. I mean, that's a big deal in our house. We do, it's like an all day event. We go and we look at Christmas lights. We did that this last week. So we can like check that one off the list. Uh, we do cookies. The boys love making cookies. I take that back. They love eating cookies and making it just, you know, at least it gets them to the point where they get to make them. That's part of, we have a tradition in our house called Five Nights Before Christmas. So that starts this, this Tuesday. We, we've got all sorts of traditions and things that we plan. And to make sure that they all get done, we plan them. Well in advance, well in a well a month over in advance, Becky and I start to write out on paper, here's what we want to do this Christmas season. Here's what we want to do with our kids. Here's what we're doing for Christmas. Here's where we're traveling. Here's where we're not traveling. And we kind of begin to write all that out, and it becomes like our Christmas to-do list, our Christmas bucket list that we have actually written down and planned for. I told you one of the items on our list is our Christmas tree. We put up our Christmas tree. It's a fake tree, but let me tell you why it's a fake tree. It's because it is such a sentimental piece in our house. It is the same Christmas tree I grew up with. It is over 30 years old, and this thing has survived multiple moves from California all the way back to Georgia, all, all the way to Georgia. And it's the tree that I grew up with that my parents then gave to me. More so as my dad saying, please get that out of the house or it's going to the dumpster. It was more of one of those things. So he gave it to me and I'm excited. And so it's like a big deal with my kids. And I'll tell Connor and Cole, I was like, man, this is the tree that I grew up with. And so it's a big deal. But being that old of a tree requires a lot of work to get it up right. You know what I mean? It, it, it's seen some better days. And so usually, and what's been in the past several years, requires a lot of tape around certain ends. And okay, it's kind of leaning. So then we kind of tie it off down here and it works. But I don't want to lose it because it means so much. There's so many memories around that tree. So we're putting up the Christmas tree. Like I said, all day event. And Connor's helping me. Cole's sort of helping me. And this is before pre-lit trees. And so we actually are putting Christmas lights on the tree. And I get the whole thing up. And it literally took half a day. We get it up, and I'm like, that's leaning a lot more than last year. And so Becky had some ideas, so I'm like, all right, so I'm working on the base of the tree, the bottom of the tree, and as I get it to about, it's like, okay, I think we're good, it just starts to go this way. And I can feel it, I'm like, no, 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 because it's got basically all of our stuff on it. And so I'm like holding it, I'm yelling for Becky, get in here! And she walks in and sees the tree about to go, so she goes and grabs the top part of it, and what had happened, the bottom, the base of the tree had just totally bent totally bent. So I'm like, I got this. I've, I can fix this. I can salvage it. And I think Becky secretly is praying that this thing would just eat it in this moment. <laughs> so I go out to the garage and I get a hammer and duct tape, fixes everything. And so I'm trying to beat this thing back into its shape to get it unbent and then tape it to reinforce it. And I finish that. And I'm getting ready to put it back in the base and I'm starting to lift it up. And then I just hear a snap. Whole thing snapped, fell over. And this is what my living room ended up looking like. The whole thing's just gone. And I'm like, no! And Becky's like, yes! 
because I'm just distraught and frustrated and mad. And, and Becky's over there on the, she did this unbelievably quick. That's why I think she was praying that it would, this would be the last day. It's because she had already put, pulled up on her phone. Hey, Brian, Hobby Lobby has a sale on new Christmas trees. And I'm like, that was way too fast. Like I'm still mourning and grieving over my 30 year old Christmas tree and you're ready to go buy a new one. I'm telling you, that was not part of my Christmas plans, is, is seeing this lifelong Christmas tree of mine end up like that on our floor, and eventually it went out in the, well, it had some stages. It went from the living room out in the backyard, which my neighbors must have been like, what in the world is going on? And that sat there for about a week, and then I finally got in the garage, took it apart, and then finally got it out in the dumpster. But Becky was like, oh, new tree. But I'm telling you, that was not part of my Christmas plans. What tends to happen is exactly that, whether your tree falls apart and or it's something else that falls apart during Christmas. We make great plans, but what happens is those plans rarely, if ever, go the way we actually plan them. And the next result of that, we make plans. They don't go the way we planned. Usually the result is frustrated, disappointed, upset, and ultimately our peace gets robbed from us. Christmas is supposed to be just this wonderful time of magic and peace and joy, and we're like, yeah, right. Because what happens is it's during the Christmas time where we make all these plans and they don't work. We have an idea in our head that never actually becomes reality. And if we allow it to, that itself will rob us of our peace. So my hope, my prayer is that you can find and hang on to peace this Christmas, but honestly, even through the rest of your life. So I want us to see, like I said, Mary and Joseph's story, more so Joseph's story. And I want you to see how peace is found and how peace is kept even with all that happens as we're going to see through the birth of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18 and see the story of Joseph. Verse 18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Once you look at that phrase, he had in mind. Underline it, circle it, write it down if you need to. He had in mind. Imagine all that he would have already had in mind because it's the same things that we have in mind. We plan our lives out, don't we? We like, well, this is the way I want my family to be. This is what my kids are gonna be like. This is where we're gonna live. This is the job I'm gonna have. This is how much money I'm gonna make. This is what the rest of our life is gonna look like. We have these hopes and these dreams. We have these plans that we make that are all in our mind. We had it in mind. Joseph would have been the exact same. I finally found this great girl. I'm going to marry her. We're going to have a great family. We're going to, I'm going to raise my kids and we're going to have, be in the family business. Remember, Joseph was a, a carpenter. So I'm going to raise my kids. We're going to be carpenters. We're going to live in this quaint little town. Oh, we're just going to be settled. Life's going to be great. He had in mind all sorts of things, but then he gets a curveball. His fiance turns out to be pregnant. He's like, didn't see that coming. Not part of my plan. He's like, oh, but, you know, I'll, I'll adjust a little bit. I don't have any other choice. And so it says that he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He had in mind, here's how I can fix it. He had in mind the solution. He had in mind his next step. He had in mind his plans. And his mind had been made up. Verse 20. But after he considered this, considered, he had thought through it. He had probably even agonized over it. His heart was broken. The, the woman he had planned to marry and spend the rest of his life with, He's gonna, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly, so he had a lot to consider, and it was not an, an easy or fun process for him to walk through. To get to his mind in that place where he's like, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I've considered it, here's my solution. 
So again, verse 20 says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be what? Afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the part that stands out to me here is he had made up his mind, he had, he had contemplated, he had decided, and it says here that, but after he had considered this, keyword, but after. Now, keep in mind, if you go to the book of Luke and you read through Mary's story, where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, she gets this angel encounter before all of this happens, right? Mary got the news before it actually happened. Poor Joseph got the news before after it happened. After. And if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking, this would have been very helpful news a while ago, six months ago. Not now. Because he had already been agonizing and dealing with all of this to the point where he had made up his mind, here's what I need to do, and I'm going to have to divorce. I mean, imagine just the, the emotional and mental toll that would have taken on Joseph. But after he had made all of his plans, once he got to the decision that he was ready to make, he gets this dream. He has this dream where an angel says, now, don't be afraid. Here's what's actually happening. But it happened afterwards. <laughs> he, he would have had to have thought, this would have been easier if I knew the information up front. But instead, he gets to the point where he had it all made up. He had his plans. He had his plans in mind. He'd already decided on it. And then the angel says, no, 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 change of plans, Joseph. Don't divorce her. Take her home as your wife, because here's what's actually happening. What Joseph, as we're going to see, he has an amazing ability to do is he can hold his plans with a very loose grip. And if we're going to hang on to peace, we need to follow suit. If we're going to hang on to peace, we need to hold our plans with a very loose grip. Because the other option is to hold our plans tightly and to not let go. And that tends to be what we do especially around the holidays. Okay, I've got my plans and it's gotta work like this and it's gotta be like this and you have to sit next to this person and you are gonna talk and you're gonna like it and it's, it's all about our plans and our expectations. But here's what happens. If we hold our plans with too tight of a grip, when plans don't go our way, when there's tension, that's what happens. It rips. And that is not a fun place to be in, is it? Because we've all been there where there's the tension of my plans and someone else's plans and my plans not working out to the point where it just rips us apart and it almost destroys us inside. The other option is to do exactly what Joseph did and say, I've got plans. I've got my whole life ahead of me. I've got all these things in mind of what my family's gonna be like, what our job's gonna be like, where we're gonna live, what we're gonna do. I've got all this in mind. And then God comes to him through an angel in a dream and says, change of plans, Joseph. Joseph's like, you couldn't have told me this earlier before I made all these plans? No, you get it afterwards, whatever. Mary's your favorite, I get it. So he gets these plans, and, and the angel says, change your plans, don't be afraid, take her home to be your wife, name him Jesus. So he says, okay. And because he's holding his plans with such a loose grip, it doesn't cause ripping. It's just trading out his plans for God's plans. This Christmas, this holiday, the rest of your life, you have two choices, to hold on to your plans tightly or with a loose grip. If you hold tightly, you will be robbed of peace every time it doesn't go your way. If you hold your plans with a loose grip, you will find the peace that Joseph, as we're going to see, is able to hang on to. So hold your plans with a loose grip. 
Verse 22. So he has this dream. The, the angel says, don't be afraid. And then he begins uh, to unveil, here's what's actually happening. Verse 22, this is now Matthew, the writer of this gospel. He gives some insight kind of as a narrative. Verse 22 says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now the prophet that Matthew's referring to here is the prophet Isaiah. Go to your Old Testament, almost in the middle, you open it up, you'll find Isaiah. A lot of prophecies, a lot of prophecies about Jesus, about the coming Messiah. And what's fascinating here is that Matthew makes a point to, put, to point this out, to point this out. Most likely, most likely Joseph was not aware of all of the Messianic prophecies because he wasn't a rabbi, he was not a Pharisee, he was not a religious leader or an expert in the religious law. He was a carpenter. And so probably Joseph knew some of the Old Testament and knew some of the, the prophecies, but not all of them. So Matthew makes a point to, to show us, hey, this was part of a bigger picture. Isaiah was written, Isaiah wrote his, his prophecies 700 years about before the birth of Jesus. And what you have to understand is, is Joseph is getting all of this information for the first time. This is very new to him. He's got his plans that he sees, that he came up with, that he had in mind, completely oblivious to God's greater plan that had been in the works for generations. Isaiah talked about it 700 years prior, but God had this in mind well before that, from the beginning of time, that we needed a rescuer, that we needed a savior, and that his name would be Jesus. So here, Joseph is, is seeing his plans, seeing them getting pulled away, and God's changing them out for, for his own plans. And for Joseph, this is new, but for God, this is far from new. And that's what happens to us is we get so caught up on just our plans and we become very nearsighted and we can become very oblivious to all that God is doing. There's a bigger picture. There are bigger plans. But Joseph is able to do what I hope we can do is to say, okay, God, I trust you. And I know that you're bigger, I know that you're stronger, I know that you're smarter, I know that you're more in control. And that's where we find peace. That peace is found in that. Peace is found in knowing that God is so much bigger than us. He's so much smarter, he's so much stronger, and he is most certainly in control. Even when we don't get it, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, we know and we trust and believe that he has this grand plan. And often we're like, I don't see how this fits into it. I'm positive Joseph, in this moment of hearing from the angel, did not think, oh wow, that is a great idea. Of course I should marry this lady who's now pregnant. Why didn't I think of that? Of course not. He's taking this information in and it is a hard pill to swallow and so he has to get to the point where he says, okay, I'll trust you. I don't get it, I don't see it. I don't think I agree with it, but I'll trust you, God. Isaiah also writes this in Isaiah 55. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. This is God speaking. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, of course, we're not gonna understand. Of course, we're not gonna get it because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We cannot comprehend the great plan that God has set into motion. But it's so incredible that he would invite us into his plans. He did that with Joseph. Joseph, I know you've got your plans. Change your plans. Here's what I wanna do instead. You get to be part of something greater. And Joseph holds his plans with a loose grip and says, I don't get it, I don't see it. Boy, this is a very difficult thing you're putting me in here, God, but, but okay. 
Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, up to verse 23, once you read through verse 23, man, it's an incredible story. You get to hear, you know, what, what the angel says to Joseph and, and you get to see what's happening with Mary. I mean, just an incredible story. But it's not until verse 24 that there's actual change and movement. Up to this point, the angel has just appeared to Joseph in a, in a dream, has talked to Joseph. Joseph had made his plans. There's a lot going on. But in verse 24, don't miss it, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. There's obedience right then and there. Up until verse 24, nothing changed for Joseph yet. Verse 24, his life forever changed because he said, okay to God. He said, all right, I'm giving up my plans and I'm going to adopt your plans. I'm gonna follow you and what you're doing instead of trying to just do what I had in my mind, to do what I had considered and I had planned on. Now, what's interesting is the time frame as well. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. It wasn't he woke up and went and saw a psychiatrist to make sure that the dream was legit. It wasn't he woke up and, Mary, we need to talk. I had a really strange dream. It wasn't he woke up and I need a second opinion. It wasn't I woke up and, God, if that's real, you need to give me a couple more dreams. It was he woke up and he did it. He woke up and he obeyed. And as we'll see, if you read through Mary's story as well, Mary and Joseph both, they received peace because they started with obedience. Obedience paved the way for peace for both of them. So often we try to hang on, remember tight grip, we hang on to our plans and that's what steals our, our peace away. Rather than, okay, God, I trust you. You're bigger, you're stronger, you're smarter, you are way more in control. So God, I'm gonna follow you. I'm going to let my plans be off to the side and I'm gonna follow you. I'm not gonna force my plans. I'm going to adjust to your plans. Obedience paves the way for peace because we're trusting God who's so much greater than we are, who's so much bigger than we are. But that's not natural for us. The natural thing for us is God tells us something in his word and we, let me pray about it for a little bit, God. Let me talk to a pastor, he'll know what to do. Instead of, well, that's what God's word says, that's what we're called to do. And we, we delay our obedience and in our delaying of our, our obedience, we lose our peace in that procrastination. Joseph didn't procrastinate, he didn't delay. Doesn't mean he understood the whole thing. He just knew what God told him and he did it. As soon as he woke up, but when he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. His obedience paved the way for peace. Now, we kind of end that story and the next part is, well, you see there in verse 25 that they had the baby and they named him Jesus and it seems like that's the end of the Christmas story. But that pattern that we just saw Joseph go through of having plans of his own and then God saying, no change of plans. And then Joseph saying, okay, I'll do what you want. I'll, I'll follow your plans instead. And then you see the prophecy element, God's bigger picture. We see that same pattern multiple times right after the birth of Jesus. Look at this. I want you to see the exact same thing. Matthew chapter two, just one chapter over. This is right after the wise men have left. The wise men show up, they visit with Jesus, with Mary and Joseph, and it says here in verse 13 out of chapter two, when they, talking about the wise men, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he's thinking, not again. Here's what the angel said. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Keyword, stay until I tell you. 
here Joseph is thinking, okay, it's been some time. We're back at home. We've got our baby. I'm the stepfather of God, apparently. We're starting to settle in. The wise men finally leave. They're like, no more visitors. We've had these dirty shepherds. We've had these strange wise men. He thinks, okay, Mary, we can start to find some form of normal, as much as normal as you can have having God as your son. So he's like, okay, here we go. We can do this. And it says, when they left, as soon as the wise men left, he has this dream, and the dream says, get up, go to Egypt. And Joseph is thinking, how much should I take? How long are we going to be there? And the angel says, just stay until I tell you. No hints about that angel. A week, two weeks, two years for the rest of my life. Give me something. But Joseph is so obedient. He has his plans with such a loose grip. What does it say here? Verse 14. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night, that very night. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. We think that's about two years. And so was fulfilled. Look at this, here's another prophecy. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Once again, the exact same pattern. He's got his plans. Okay, we changed plans once. Okay, here we go. And then the angel showed up in a dream and says, part two, change of plans again. And so he obeyed. He got up, and that very night, they took, he took his family to Egypt, not knowing how long they would be there, not knowing when and if they would ever come back, knowing there was a very real danger of the king, Herod, out to kill their boy. But he obeys, he follows, and again, we see that prophecy. It wasn't Joseph's plans, but God had a much greater plan in mind that had started well before Joseph ever came on the scene. A few verses later, verse 19, still in chapter 2. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Are you seeing, are you seeing the pattern here? Joseph at some point is going to refuse to go to sleep because he doesn't want to have another angel dream. <laughs> After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Here we go again. Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So, surprise, surprise, so he got up took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. The exact same thing. He's got to be thinking, we finally, because again, it was, it was most likely a couple years that they were in Egypt. Once again, we're starting to settle. Egypt's not so bad. I could get used to this. And then he has a dream. Get up, it's time to go back to Israel. So he does. And he takes his entire family back to Israel, but not done yet. The angel has one more joke for him. Verse 22 but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene four times. Joseph's plans got changed drastically because of an angel in a dream. Four times he went from his plans to letting them go, to adopting God's plans and obeying and following them immediately. In each of those, we see God's greater plan because of how it fulfills prophecies that were written and foretold generations before Joseph was ever on the scene. See, that early and first Christmas and the early years after that first Christmas were not as perfect and peaceful as we might have thought or expected. That whole silent night and that away in a manger, in reality, is Herod's coming to kill you. Not what we sing about in kids' church back there. <laughs> it's not a peaceful time. It was not, it was far from perfect. And I, I don't know about you, but, but my Christmases and my life, I cannot relate to that perfect, peaceful Christmas. 
And my Christmases don't, don't relate to that. That whole no crying he made, I have three kids under the age of, of four. They cry all the time. <laughs> Christmas, as wonderful as it is, is exhausting. And so I cannot relate to that. But what I can relate to is what Joseph is going through. The constant change of plans, the constant rearranging, the constant struggles and tensions and hardships and difficulties. That's what we relate to. That's the Christmas we relate to. That's the Christmas Joseph, Joseph and Mary experienced from that very first Christmas to the years that would come. It was not a peaceful Christmas as we would define. If we defined peaceful as no tension, no conflict, everybody getting along, then most certainly Mary and Joseph would not have experienced peace. But it, again, it depends on your definition of peace. That's what I want you to see in scripture here in Philippians, head over there, Philippians chapter four, we get a great definition and description of peace. Because like I said, we have in our minds the definition that, well, as long as there, there's no conflict and there's no tension and there's no struggle and everything's perfect and everybody's getting along and my plans are working out, I have peace. That's what we view peace as usually. Understand, that's not how God describes or defines peace. Look at what he says to the Apostle Paul. Verse six out of chapter four in Philippians. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Here's verse seven. This is everything you need to know about peace. Verse seven. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, leave that up here for a second because there's a really important word. I don't want you to miss it. Verse seven, there's a word between experience and peace. What's that word that's right in between those two words? God's. This is not the peace that we make up for ourselves. This is not the kind of peace that we define for ourselves. This is not the kind of peace that we hear the world talk about. The whole everybody's getting along thing. This is God's peace. We experience God's peace. God's peace is different. It's different. Then look at this. This kind of resembles what we read briefly in Isaiah 55. You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Man, Joseph was there. Okay, I don't see how this is a peaceful Christmas. I don't see how this is gonna work out. So you're telling me that I can have peace when there's problems? I can have peace when there's struggle, peace when there's conflicts, peace when there's loss, peace when there's hardships? Absolutely. Well, how does that work out? No idea. All I know is scripture says that you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. It comes from him. And it's beyond what we can wrap our minds around. It's beyond what we can wrap our even hearts around. The point is we get to experience it because he gives it. It's his peace. It's a different kind of peace. And it's a peace that exceeds anything we could possibly understand. This next part says, his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that last part. As you live in Christ Jesus. In other words, it only comes from him. We have peace, not because of the lack of problems and conflict. We have peace as we live in Christ Jesus. As we live in Christ Jesus, he lives in us through his Holy Spirit. And we get that by saying, Jesus, I'm a messed up mess. And I just need you in my life. And he says, yes, and he moves in. And as he moves in, he gives us this peace that is not bound or defined by our problems, by our struggles, by the conflict and the tension in our lives. It's a peace that we have because of who he is and he gives it to us. It's a different kind of peace that exceeds anything we could understand. We get it by living in him. 
But I want you to see how this peace works. If you back up, still in verse seven, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live. His peace guards your heart and your mind. It does not say his peace removes all problems. It says it guards your heart and your mind. So often our prayers are, God, give me peace and make everything work out. God, I need your peace, so make my plans work. God, I need your peace, so I need you to remove this person in my life. Instead, what we're reading in scripture is, give me peace so I can endure. Give me peace to guard me against the problems, the tensions, the struggles, the conflicts, the difficulties, and the difficult memories. It's kind of like my, uh, my life-proof case. Anybody actually have one of these? Dude, they're great. Waterproof, I mean like destruction-proof. I mean, it, it will outlast us all. And what's great about a life-proof case is it gives me a peace of mind. You put your phone in here, seals it up. I could drop it in water, no problem. I could drop it on the floor, no problem. It could get dirty, no problem. It's dust-proof, dirt-proof, waterproof, you name it, proof. It is a life-proof case, and it will take care of your phone. That's what it does, it protects your phone. Now here's what the life-proof case does not do. It does not prevent me from dropping my phone. It doesn't prevent me from getting water on it or dropping it in the toilet. It doesn't prevent that, it doesn't prevent stupidity. What it does do is it guards when it happens. That's exactly what God's peace does, is it doesn't prevent, it doesn't take away the problems, he guards our hearts and our minds against the problems. That's what God's peace does. So even though Mary and Joseph experienced a tremendous amount of stress and conflict and struggle and pain and hardships and anxieties and worries, they still had peace because they held their plans with a very loose grip. And they said, you know what? God's plans are not my plans. His ways are not my ways. That's what we have to get to. That's the place that we need to get to. I'm gonna have our band come up. We're gonna wrap up here in just a moment but I want you to pay attention to how we sometimes describe peace. Describe peace. I'm gonna, during this next song, Sean, I, I surprised him on this, with this this morning. Um, he's, he doesn't know it, but he's gonna let me help with this very last song. And uh, Sean, uh, how good of a guitar player am I? Just get ready. <laughs> <laughs> you, can you hear that in the back? Can you hear that? We good? We good? All right. So, so oftentimes what we do is... Uh, is we, we come into this life and God has his plans and everything. We're like, yeah, that's good for you, God. But trust me, my ways are pretty awesome. And so we come in and, and as, as God begins to just play this, this wonderful melody and this song, we step on the scene thinking that our ways are, are better, that our plans are better, that we know what's best. So even though, and somehow you get to be God in this illustration, but uh, as he's playing the melody, what we do, and there's so much freedom, I can play any note that I want, I come into the scene and just say, God, check this out. And God's like, that's not what I'm playing. I'm like, I know, I know, you do your thing, but check this out, power chords. He's like, that's still not what I'm playing. I'm like, why don't I get an applause? I mean, this is, this is great stuff. He's like, no. <laughs> but what you have to understand, especially in the, in the musical world, there's something called a melody and a harmony, right? Melody is what Sean's doing, and he, he's playing the melody. It's the, it's the main part of the song. And what the rest of the musicians have to do in vocals is they have to harmonize with the melody. Now, it's not the same note, 
but the definition of, of harmony is a different note played the same time that complements the melody, that makes it sound good. And usually if you're somebody like me that doesn't know what they're doing, you're like, I don't know what that is. So we have to ask. So Sean, let's see if we can do this. What, what, what's a note that I should play that actually sort of fits with what you're doing over there? Which one's that? This one? actually sounded okay. I missed my calling. <laughs> we have an incredible freedom. It's called freedom of choice. And yes, you have the freedom to do whatever you see fit. You get to make whatever plans you want. The question is not, can you? It's should you? And the plans that Joseph had made were great plans for his family, for his future, for his business not the plans God had already set into motion. So Joseph had a choice to either try to play his own solo or to say, okay, God, your ways, not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. I choose your plans over my plans. That's what brings peace. The book of John, we see a very familiar phrase. We've seen it throughout the Christmas story. The, the angel that appeared to the shepherds says that they were terrified. And then the angel said, do not be what? Afraid. When Gabriel appeared to Mary, she was terrified and he said, do not be afraid. Joseph had contemplated and had agonized over what he would do. Then he had a dream and the angel said, do not be afraid. Now with Joseph, he said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In other words, don't be afraid of the change of plans. Jesus said something very similar to what we've read in the Christmas story, to what we read in Philippians, where Paul said, don't worry, don't be afraid. John, John chapter 14 says something very similar. Peace I leave with you, peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. A couple of chapters later, Jesus was still on this topic of peace. And in John chapter 16, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus came for us, he came to overcome the world for us. He came into the world to overcome the world. That is what we get peace from. Not from our plans working out, not from not having conflict. Peace comes from knowing the one who came into the world to overcome the world so that we wouldn't have to. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the plans that you have already put in motion. Plans that we could not foresee plans that we cannot even comprehend or understand, plans that are beyond us, but nonetheless, they are your plans. Father, my, my prayer would be that we would let go of our plans when needed, that we would hold our plans with a very loose grip, that we wouldn't fight you and try to do our own thing, but that we would harmonize with you, that we would, that we would tweak and change to align with you, regardless whether we understand it, regardless whether we even want to, we would do as Joseph did. And we would allow our obedience to pave the way for our peace. And as we walk with you and you with us, we have peace because it's the peace that you give us. May we have peace this season in a season of chaos and a season of conflict and a season of difficulties and a season of loss. May we still have peace in Jesus' name.